Hey guys, welcome to the Water to Water podcast with Kevin James. And today we have a special episode where we're joined by my dear brother in Christ, Praveen Matthew. First of all, I'd like to remind you that if you haven't already, please like our Facebook page called Water to Water and follow us on Instagram on Water to Water podcast. Also follow us on Spotify and so leave a rating for us on the Apple Podcasts so that it improves our visibility. So Praveen, thank you so much for accepting our invitation to speak to us. This topic is something that a lot of Christians might be unaware of because of how it is so deeply entrenched in the modern day evangelical movement. It doesn't matter if you're Indian or African or from the West. Your background doesn't matter because this theology and movement is deeply rooted within the church. And so through this episode, I hope that both of us can give some foundations on this theology and this movement and equip all of us with discerning this movement. But before we get into that, Praveen, would you like to share a bit about yourself and your walk with God? Absolutely. Thanks for having me here today, Kevin. It's a real pleasure. Uh, I grew up in Saudi Arabia for most of my teenage years. Most of my primary, secondary education was spent in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And I am what you would call a second generation Pentecostal. Obviously, you and I know that there's no such thing as you cannot be born a believer, but uh, my parents were Pentecostals and I grew up in a Pentecostal church and it was very traditional teachings, very conservative. And I grew up listening to TBN, uh, you know, God TV, yeah, God (laughs) TV, Benahan, Paul Yongicho, all all these preachers. And you could say I got into faith at a very young age. Uh, I was, I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. And in hindsight, maybe it was slightly too early. In full disclosure, there were a couple of times in my life where I have had doubts on my faith. I've backslid on a couple of occasions. But those were, I think, stages. And it helped me to strengthen my faith, strengthen my beliefs, explore what was right and what was wrong, and just to understand theology a bit more. So I think it's, it's one of the negatives of coming into faith too early you sometimes you don't fully understand what you're putting yourself into what you're getting into yeah Yeah, and I think it's really helpful that parents I I was able to see what their faith throughout the years and also some of the other believers that I treated as mentors were able to help me as well in my faith so you spoke about growing up listening to TBN and Benny Hinn and God TV we will get into that in a minute but we are both from, like you've said, charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. Mm. Uh, we are in the position where we are very familiar with this, uh, now I'm going to say it, the prosperity gospel, yep. uh, this movement. However, for the benefit of our listeners, would you give us an idea on what the prosperity gospel is? Yes, absolutely. So I think for the purpose of this discussion, we can call it the prosperity gospel, but I think we can agree that it's when you dig into it, when you understand it, it's not really gospel at all. And if you were to define it, you could say that it's God's plan for you is to have the best of everything in this life. Mm -hmm. So it can be health, wealth, happiness, uh, and they're all guaranteed on this earth if you follow Jesus. And the other side of it is that there is belief in heaven, but heaven is simply the extension of what is on this earth. And it's an extension of the temporal blessings that you have on this earth. And You could say the theological foundation of the prosperity gospel is based on three core ideas. And one of them is that Christ's atonement on the cross means abundance now. 
so you have an abundant life because Christ mm-hmm. sacrificed on the cross for you. It's not just about the salvation from sins, but also material blessings that you can attain through the cross. The second core idea would be that around Abraham's inheritance. So whatever promises that God had given to Abraham, you're also entitled to it <laughs> as a believer because you are the child of God, you're a child of Abraham. And Paul breaks this down in Galatians uh, very clearly. And finally, the third key element would be that faith is a force that you can use to control God. You can make God do things through faith. Manipulate God. Correct, okay. yeah. So yeah, that's that's the essential idea of prosperity gospel. Okay, so uh, like you mentioned Abraham, mm. are there other examples in the Bible from where we can see this idea of prosperity coming through? Are you talking about verses or references in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, characters in the Bible where there's, yeah. Yes, so one other character, very famous, would be Solomon, uh, where God blessed Solomon with a lot of wealth, but you can see that towards the end of his story, that's what a lot of people ignore. What resulted from that wealth, that was actually a reason for his downfall. And Job is another example, but then people forget that even when he had nothing, he still kept his faith in God and he did not lose that faith, nor did he ask God to restore him to whatever he had before. He just took that as the will of God. And I just remember this, as you said, about the faith uh, manipulating God. God almost doesn't become sovereign. God is no longer the author, Mm. the primary cause of everything. We are the primary cause in this, in this, according to this theology, according to this gospel, and we are getting God to do what we want. God almost becomes like a genie. He's no different to Aladdin and the genie. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. And so how would you say this gospel came into existence in our time? Okay. uh, You could say the prosperity gospel had its root in a much earlier movement called the New Thought Movement. And this was popularized by a preacher called Isaac William Kenyon. And he lived in between 1850 to about 1950. And the New Thought movement was entrenched in three core beliefs. First one is based on higher anthropology, which means that if human beings are evolved highly enough, they do not need a God figure in their life. They can pretty much do anything with their own power or with their own minds. Uh, Or you could say the maximum human potential can be achieved without the help of God. Uh, The second belief was that positive thinking is a reality that can make material blessings a reality. So if you think positively about anything, Mm -hmm. you can make it come to pass. And it's not a mere thought that exists in the mind. Um, And thirdly, it popularized the idea that you can have your share of the creationist power of God. So uh, you can have the same power that God used to create Mm. the world and attain God's promises through that through that belief. So yeah, so William Kenyon popularized the New Thought movement, and then this was actually the root of the Word of Faith movement, which was brought on by a pastor called Kenneth Hagen, and this was in the early 20th century, so 1900s. And then he was followed by Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn. And so in the latter days, you can see a lot of people who popularized the idea of word of faith and prosperity gospel. That's essentially the history of how it came to pass. And people like William Hagen and Kenneth Copeland then brought it into the Pentecostal circles later on. Yeah, I mean, I've got a quote here from Kenneth Copeland. 
On the cross, Jesus won the right for believers to be born again back into the God class. Adam was created, not subordinate to God, but as a God. He lost it. And in Christ, we are taken back to the God class. I mean, that's just... Absolutely. And as you said, you know, it takes away the sovereignty of God and it puts... It's a a man-centric gospel and it puts man front and center instead of God. And God is simply used as a vessel to satisfy whatever desires we have in our life. And no glory is given to God in that. Oh yeah, man is glorified in every single way. So just to expand on this then, what is wrong with this theology? How is it being misused, as it were? What happens when people actually believe in this stuff? So there is a few different things that are wrong with this theology or that will create the wrong beliefs in people. And the primary one would be that you can't accept that Christians can suffer or Christians are bound to suffer. So if you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at the life of the apostles, it's quite clear that suffering was part of their ministry. And if you look at you know what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 11, uh, it's a long description of everything that has gone through, mm-hmm. shipwrecked, suffered, beaten, beaten, yeah, 40 lashes. You can see that the word danger repeated so many times in that single portion in Second uh, Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. And um, this kind of makes it clear that suffering is part and parcel of a Christian life. And you're almost expected to have suffering when you're a Christian. Uh, when you affirm your faith in Christ, that's what you're um, saying, that you're ready to suffer for Christ. You're willing to give up your life for Christ. But the whole prosperity gospel is saying that, you know, once you give up your life for Christ, you're not going to have any suffering. You know, you're going to have the best life ever. You will have all the wealth given to you. And what, what we're going through right now, COVID, is a good example of that. You know, people are preaching that if you're a believer, you will not get ill or you will not contract mm. COVID, but then you can see pastors getting ill. And then you're trying to answer questions or oh, how is this happening when you've said that you know believers don't get ill. So it just creates the wrong mindset for Christians and people who are looking at us as Christians as well. It doesn't do any good for Christianity as faith. The second thing would be that you believe poverty is just lack of faith. So imagine a pastor from a mega church in America preaching to some of the, the poorer parts of India or Africa and they're saying to them you know it's like a lottery so you you have a lottery a lot of pastors uh, in prosperity gospel theology use this example you've got a lottery ticket in your hand which you just haven't used yet um, so it's funny that they preach this and they've got all the the wealth that they have and they're preaching this to the poorest of the poor and just to say, hear them preach your fault that you're not wealthy or you're not successful in life and the onus is very much on the person correct yeah. if they don't succeed in life it's because Absolutely. they have had a lack of faith Absolutely. they are a poor poor you have a poor mindset you have a negative mindset you need to get it right uh, it, christ and his sacrifice on the cross is secondary yeah, absolutely and it's not because of any systemic oppression or you know problems within the system that you're poor but it's because of your lack of faith so as you said you know all the burden is on the believer and they start to have this warped idea in their head I'm in the place where I am because I'm not being faithful enough or I, I, my belief is not right. The third thing that prosperity gospel gets wrong is you care more about your personal wealth or prosperity than about the collective wealth or collective well-being of Christians 
within your community or within your church. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, 11 right? yeah. I have plans for you, plans to prosper you. So but the problem is people forget that was something that was given to the Israelites uh, when they were in ex- exile. So the verse was actually saying to them that all of you, not just one single person, prosper them as a nation, prosper them as a community. Uh, so it was about the collective goodwill rather than uh, individuals. And the final element that is completely wrong about the prosperity gospel is it's not good news for poor believers. So it's all about wealth or it's all about the rich people. That's who are given the ultimate importance within a church. So anyone who is successful, anyone who's wealthy, they can say to themselves, oh, I'm in this position because my faith is the correct one. And this puts a bridge between them and those who are less successful, less fortunate than them. And it creates that mindset or divide within the church. Yeah, I would go further than that. Now, when we say the names of Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, mm. I think those are like obvious examples. Yeah. Like when you see it, you can, you know, name yeah. it, like to quote a word they use, name it and claim it. You can name <laughs> it and claim that they are prosperity gospel. It's quite, it's quite easy to see. I think at some point it's more sinister than that in our churches. Definitely. I'll give you an example. I've heard so many parents say things along the lines of, the reason why my children are successful or the reason why I'm mm. successful in my life. These are Malayali parents, probably not meaning it to be like this, but this is what's actually coming out of them. Absolutely. They're saying the reason why this is all happened is because I've been faithful. It's because I've tithed. It's because I've given to mm. church. It's because I invited pastors to my house to stay over. Mm. Because of this, uh, my family are doing so well. My children yeah. are getting married off to really well families. We're, they're rich. They're well off. They have great jobs. So yeah. that's, that's prosperity gospel as well it's a very subtle thing that you you have to look out for to actually recognize those signs and i think there's a quote from charles spurgeon where he says you know there is the right gospel and there is almost right gospel (laughs) so that's the most dangerous kind of gospel because it it's very closely associated with what the gospel is actually about but then then there is minor deviations which you don't really notice because everything else seems you know 90% is right but then there's a 10% Mm. which is not which is contrary to the gospel and uh, the other thing is I heard this from uh, I can't remember his name now there was uh, an ASCC conference Mm. a couple of years ago the pastor said something interesting he said God has called us to be faithful Mm. not to be successful our success in life is not an indication of how pleased God is with us absolutely okay because if you think about it Jesus from looking from outside, mm. had a terrible life. Yeah, yeah, He tried to start a rebellion. He lasted for three and a half years, and then in the end, he got crucified. And and there are actually preachers who distort the truth. You know, in TBN, I heard a preachers once say, oh, Jesus had a great life. He had a big house. He had a lot of money. He was God. actually giving money to the poor because he had so much. They twist the scriptures to suit their own needs or to match their theology. And one other thing I forgot to mention is that the prosperity gospel also treats prophets as those who predict the future rather than give them warnings. <laughs> I think you touched on this in, in another podcast earlier on. And it's about, oh, what you're going to get in the future, where, where you're going to go. Are you going to go to another country, be more successful, what your children are going to be, rather than you know, pointing out what you're, what is wrong in your life, which is actually what prophet's role was in the Old Testament, if you think about it. 
Yeah, and uh, Costi Hin, the nephew of Benny Hin, I heard an interview from him that said one of the other things that they always say is do not say a word or lay a hand on the anointed one from God. So mm. these leaders of these churches almost become untouchable. No matter what they say, you can't say anything against them because they are anointed. And if you put an arm against, they're using mm. the David thing, uh, David and Saul thing, yeah, where David yeah. says, don't lay a hand on, the, on God's anointed. Yeah. Saul was anointed. That's true. And so they're using that logic that even though Saul was wrong, he was mm. anointed and David refused yeah. to put the hand. So must we be with these leaders right now. Yeah. And it's crazy. So how is the real gospel then, the actual gospel, different to the prosperity gospel? Yeah, so that's a great question. And if you want to define gospel as it is preached by the apostles and you know affirmed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, gospel or euangelion in Greek is the proclamation of the person and works of Jesus Christ and how that benefits those who believe in those works and how those works can be appropriated to us through faith and faith alone. And the apostolic proclamation, or kerygma as it's in the Greek, it's completely about the message of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and how we can receive the benefits of his works on the cross. It's spiritual blessings, not material blessings. Mm. And if you've turned away from preaching uh, the cross, you've turned away from kind of the only message that has the power to save anyone from sin. And if Christ had to die because it was the only way to pay the price for sin, then you can kind of look at it and think, oh, does that actually mean that Christ had to die for me to get a new car or a new house mm. or whatever material blessings that I'm looking for? It kind of takes away the, the purpose of Christ's death on the cross. And prosperity gospel, it might be popular because it focuses on the material blessings rather than what Christ can offer to us in a spiritual uh, definition. Wow, I just want to take a minute there just so that our listeners can digest what has just been said. Because the difference in the real gospel, the gospel of Jesus, and this prosperity gospel is vast. Now you mentioned that the blessings that Christ and the benefits that Christ has given are spiritual. Now, could he bless us financially? Of course he could. Mm. But that was not the point of the cross. The point of the cross was spiritual blessing. Now, let's look at financial blessings. Uh, I'll give you some numbers here. Joel Osteen has 16,800-seated church in, in Houston. I can only imagine what his uh, offertory rates would be like. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland has a net worth of $300 million. Creflo Dollar has a net worth of twenty-seven million dollars you can see that this gospel has given its pastors a lot of wealth and it's because this gospel is clearly attractive Mm. why is this gospel attractive that's a very good question and i would say as we uh, we already talked about two essential pillars of prosperity gospel which is the economic well-being and health of those who are listening or those who are preaching it or those who are coming to faith so the reason why it's attractive is simply because of the strata in which this gospel is preached. It's mainly preached to people who are going through a desperate situation in their life and people are coming to listen to the word of God because they want to understand what the next step in their life is. How can they be successful? And they see these preachers, as you said, you know, who've got a massive amount of wealth and they make it you know, quite obvious that they've got this wealth. Uh, they're <laughs> flying in private jets, they've got multiple houses, multiple cars and they see this and they think how do i get that 
and that's what they they're coming to listen to and when they realize that it's very simple to get that uh, well they think that they it's think very simple that, yeah. yeah they think it's very simple which is just uh, you know affirming their faith in Christ but in actuality that is very contradictory to what the gospel is and it doesn't do justice to what Christ was preaching or what the apostles were preaching which was solely about the salvation of the soul rather than any kind of material benefits or health benefits that they might have and it takes away from what Christ did for us on the cross and when people come into this faith thinking that is what the gospel is about and when they come across an obstacle in their life whether it's financial or whether it's health related they start to question their faith and this is actually what is the core risk of the prosperity gospel because people come into it people believe the gospel for the wrong reasons or what they think is the gospel for the wrong reasons and then when it's not going their way when it's not actualized in their life they will reject the gospel yeah i mean if, even if they reject that gospel i think i still think that's better because that Absolutely. gospel is not the real gospel Absolutely. they've still rejected it i also think there is a a lot of people who even after getting those obstacles have their mind so brainwashed by this Correct, yeah. that they will still keep going to it Absolutely. and when i mean keep going to it i mean still give tithes give Absolutely. money and Absolutely. that's heartbreaking absolutely yeah so as you said they will start to think it's because i'm not giving enough and it just creates this never ending vicious circle and it also feeds into that pyramid scam i would almost yeah, call yeah. it which is the prosperity gospel oh yeah i genuinely think i thought of this before actually i didn't want to say it because if there were some multi level uh, marketing people listening to us but the prosperity gospel is equivalent to the pyramid scheme of christianity it is genuinely it is a product of american capitalism and i'm i'm a capitalist i believe yeah, in capitalism yeah. i think it's a great thing but putting that aside it is american capitalism on steroids that is the prosperity gospel and it's being sold like a product to africa to india to many countries where yeah, yeah, yeah. people are desperate in need for something to mm. make their lives better and they hear this gospel which is not really the gospel and they put their faith in it and strengthen it uh, from my experience remembering back to when we were in dubai we used to watch god tv and we mm. we'd always see the number of people who would give money with the names written on the bottom of that channel like yes yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's it's a continuous stream it's so many people give money to this from all over the world like from punjab <laughs> kerala you know pakistan afghanistan everywhere around the world and these are people who don't have enough in their own households or who are struggling to pay their own bills and you know you start to think about it and the rich are just getting richer and the poor are just getting poorer yeah and that's why i think it things like cancer this this gospel because it deep rooted it spreads very mm. hard to target like i don't know if you know your biology but each cell of cancer can mutate by itself mm. and so when you target one cancer cell you probably can't target the other yeah, thing with the same yeah. technique you'll need a different technique to cancer because it's mutating re- so in terms of prosperity gospel they just slightly edit their theology yeah. uh, when they're caught out in something that they say or they do and you know keep doing what they were and doing they keep before. spreading Correct, like, yeah, yeah. All right, next we've got a bit of a uh, fun game. We're going to play Prosperity Gospel Bingo. Uh, I'll read out a phrase for you and you can tell us if you think it's a prosperity gospel phrase or it's just a normal, you know, Christian phrase. And also, could you give us a reason of why you think it is what it is? So the first phrase is God will bless you. 
wow, okay, I think that's a generic phrase, so it's hard to define it as being part of prosperity gospel. So God will bless you definitely, and within the right context, he can bless you. So Yeah, and so I just want to make a point that we are not against God blessing people, okay? We're not <laughs> against that at all, but that's that's fine. All right, another quote here. How you call it is how it will be. Bingo, I think that is a part of prosperity gospel, and it's very closely related to another phrase that just came to mind, which is name it and claim it. And I think both of these are based on the verse in, in John chapter 14, 14, where Christ says, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. But the verses before and after provides a bit more context. And in verse 12, you can see whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Mm. And in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what they're forgetting is if you truly love Christ, if you truly want the will of God, you're not going to be asking for material blessings. Instead, you're going to be asking for people to come to the faith, your spiritual growth in Christ, rather than anything material. Okay, next one. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Bingo again. And (laughs) I think, um, so John 10 verse 10, the full verse is the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And uh, I think you would agree that this is kind of the uh, signature verse of prosperity gospel and it's used to suggest that god loves his followers and wants them to have all good things but if you interpreted this verse as you know it is a promise for physical gain it neglects the context of the verse itself Uh, if you look at the preceding verses you can see that it's a parable uh, about sheep and their good shepherd who is obviously jesus christ and who calls them by name now the context is that sheep knows the good shepherd a sheep know their shepherd and follow their shepherd by voice the contrast in verse 10 is about anyone who is there to kill and destroy rather than you know lead them to safety Uh, and the the abundance of life here suggests the knowing and being known by jesus yeah and not related to any material blessings yeah so he does not offer them any material benefits or extension of physical life or increase in possessions but the certainty of a life that is lived on a higher level in obedience to god and in reflection of god's glory yeah and so even though that was a bingo it's because the verse wasn't taken in its full context absolutely yeah. okay next one empty out the negative bingo again and that sounds almost like a motivational speaker and i think this is where you can kind of see the signs of the wrong theology because if that theology is uh, is not offering anything more than what the world already offers um, then you can say that the theory is impractical or theology is impractical and therefore useless so in this you know case that phrase is is almost indiscernible from what a motivational speaker would say Okay, we'll just pause on the bingo for now. Hmm. What we can both agree with is that yeah. even though this is prosperity gospel, it is motivational, it is encouraging. Yes. yes. Isn't that good enough? I think it depends on what your end goal is. It is good enough, you know, if you want to improve your quality of life in general, or if you want to make some changes and you're looking for tips on good living. But if you're applying that same theology or same advice to becoming a better Christian, that's where the problem would come. And because that's not what the gospel is about. Okay, thank you. Going back to the bingo now. Next phrase. If you want to reap financial blessings, you have to sow financially. Yeah, again, bingo. And the 
spiritual principle of the seed and the harvest is completely taken out of context and it it states that giving is about all an economic act measured in terms of return on investment <laughs> so what is forgotten is, is if you look at the next verse in verse 8 paul writes if you sow to your own flesh you will reap corruption from the flesh but if you sow to the spirit you will reap eternal life from the spirit so it doesn't have anything to do with material benefits rather it's talking about the spiritual seed that you're sowing excellent final verse philippians 4:19 my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus and again this is bingo yeah uh, but if you look at the verse in in the context and if you actually read the verse itself it says god will supply all your needs rather than your wants wants yeah so it's not talking about giving you you know f- uh, 10 different cars or 10 different private jets or multiple houses it's saying that god will provide for you daily in terms of your daily bread that's what he, jesus christ prayed for in his prayer that he taught he will give you what you need and he will satisfy those needs but at the same time you have to be prepared to take suffering for christ yeah. as well if it comes to that and yeah i like what you said there because it this theology almost makes your mm. desires seem as if they're needs Correct. your desires seem as if they're honorable and something that god wants for you mm-hmm. when really it isn't yeah. it's what you want and again that's another reason why if you were to go and preach this on on a sunday in houston let's say okay. uh, lots of people will come to your church because you are telling them what they want is yeah. great right and then if you say that oh yeah god wants 10 cars for you they'll be like of course i want 10 <laughs> yeah. cars for me too this is great i can get on board with this god who wants everything that i want as well so yeah it's it's kind of uh, tricky like that absolutely all right now that we've discussed this in detail how do we address and correct those people within our churches and uh, other people who go to ch- these churches who are being misled by this gospel how do we go about doing it Yeah that's a great question and I think you and I both can agree that the best way to spot something counterfeit is to become an expert in what real looks like in the case of money you know mm-hmm. if you know what counterfeit money looks like you can tell what is real or even feels like and knowing the right stuff about the real thing protects you from being deceived so the best way a pastor or leader a christian leader can Uh, strengthen his flock and protect his flock fr- uh, protect the, the believers from being deceived is to teach them faithfully about what is true what is right what is the gospel and any conference or any bible seminar that focuses on false teaching um, should always be combined with clear biblical truth what is true and not merely just addressing what is wrong mm-hmm. it should also be combined with what is the right gospel yeah so there are three different ways that you can teach the church about what is wrong or what is the error in prosperity gospel one is you can teach them the biblical view of prosperity the people in the church need to know and they need to understand that you know prosperity does not validate a person's salvation so no amount of money gains an employment or inheritance from <laughs> Uh, your parents well, yeah relatives <laughs> mm-hmm. um cannot act as a sign of god's hand on one's life uh, you have to make sure that they understand the blessings of the gospel or blessings of salvation can be applied to an orphan or someone in a dire situation just as it can apply to someone who is wealthy or who is you know successful uh, because god doesn't discriminate between people the the preachers 
message is not validated by their wealth the preacher's mm-hmm. wealth mm-hmm. um and for this is good because a lot of prosperity preachers use their own wealth as proof that you know god is blessing them and therefore that their message is trustworthy true yeah uh, and this is this is not really acceptable because it's not validated anywhere in the bible anywhere in the scriptures uh, it does not validate the church's doctrine and you know just like the pastor's message the church may start to think that big offerings or big crowds are evidence that god is pleased oh, yeah. with their ministry and you know god is likely pleased with a church of 70 or 80 who is faithful and poor you know rather than a church of 8000 or 10000 who is rich but they're preaching the false gospel oh yeah absolutely having the false belief and the second thing they can teach is uh, is a biblical view of sovereignty so i think you mentioned sovereignty earlier on pastor will raise up or grow a healthy and humble congregation um if they're consistently taught that god controls all things including prosperity so uh, and in proverbs you can see we are encouraged to work hard encouraged to be wise stewards it is god who graciously pours out riches but it is also god who allows the poor to have joy while they are in poverty you know paul uh, i think in second corinthians chapter 9 paul talks about the christians ought to be generous but it is god who gives most mm-hmm. um so his grace is seen through the care that he gives to the less fortunate of his children and this may include monetary wealth or not and trusting god unconditionally yeah. is the best way to live mm-hmm. uh, and we touched upon job earlier on and job learned this uh, lesson because he said naked i came from my mother's womb and naked i will return in job 121 the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed is the name of the lord mm-hmm. and finally you can teach a biblical view of eternity so i think this is the best way to debunk prosperity gospel more than anything it's a view a correct view of the heaven that is to come or the eternity that is to come so if you think about it what causes a church to shift its focus from obtaining earthly benefits or earthly riches and put more energy into the great commission it's the view of eternity that is to come yeah. so pastors must preach that Our, our best life is obtained by obeying Christ and our best life is obtained by spreading the gospel and that our best life on this earth can never compare to what is in heaven yeah. it's not just a temporal extension of eternity yeah. it's a completely different, different. Um, yeah it's a completely different playing field and if a church is mission minded it has very little time or energy to waste on you know being money minded and there's stewardship the idea of stewardship is to be employed for the progression of the gospel you know if, if you're doing a fundraising it must have a gospel centered vision for that mission uh, and the uh, ministry is to be consistent in viewing money or viewing success as a vehicle for doing more ministry for in the name of Christ so i, I think that yeah that's that's perfect i mean you mentioned the the last part especially about the eternity i mean that goes against what joel osteen's mm. book that said uh <laughs> your best life now yeah. and i've mentioned this previously the only way you can have your best life now is if you're going to hell yeah right there's no other <laughs> way you can have your best life now but yeah thanks so much for uh breaking it down i'm just going to add a few more things mm. a few more footnotes to what you've said things to do to test to see if your church or the people that you listen to and the sermons that you're listening to uh, support the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've borrowed some of these ideas from John Piper. First thing is, 
an absence of the necessity of suffering for Christ. Mm. So Acts chapter 14 verses 21 to 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom mm. of God. So we can see there that God is saying, or Paul is saying anyway here, that tribulations are part of the life. John fifteen twenty, Jesus is saying, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Mm. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Yep. So again, Amen. the next thing, if the teaching has an absence of self-denial, Jesus said that if anyone wants to follow me, they should deny themselves. This is contradiction to the prosperity gospel where he desires and wants a place as the ultimate good. <laughs> Do you want a car? God will give you the car. Do you want a great house, spouse, healing? God will give that to you. And so when this is being presented to unregenerate sinners, the sinner is thinking, wow, I can get on board with this. God will give me all of those things that I want. Of course I want that God. So the reason why these prosperity theologists have millions and millions of followers is because they are hearing exactly what their sinful desires want and it's packaged in a way that is holy and uh, respectable. Another thing, which is especially true for the charismatic movement, does the preaching always aim on the person who's preaching's experience mm. rather than the word of God? Do the sermons every Sunday go through passages of the Bible or is it just talking about the pastor's experience? Again, mm. and like you said, uh, Praveen, one of the most distorted verses is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, the number of times mm. I've heard people use this verse, <laughs> or take take this verse and put, put it on the Instagram <laughs> picture, and saying, oh yeah, this is, you know, God's verse for me. Or you get this as a promise verse at the end of the year, uh, or the start of the new year. Yeah. Go, this has nothing to do with us. Jeremiah is sending that letter <laughs> to people who are in exile okay and so last time i checked none of us are in exile and so you know we've got to be like the Bereans, studying scripture carefully to come to a conclusion of what exactly uh, the text is saying uh, and finally what is the church interested in what do i mean by that is it a church that just has good vibes and that's it they don't want any negativity so there is a lack of preaching on sin there's a lack of preaching on holiness so if you start talking about sin mm. and holiness there's always a tension yeah. There's always a tension being created there. Uh, these churches won't preach that. They only want good vibes. Good vibes <laughs> only. That's all they want. Because if they start speaking about sin and holiness, then there is a high risk of people leaving that church. Yeah. These are all things that we can check to see if our church or the preachers that we are listening to are actually preaching what the gospel says. And I would advise mm. that all of us would do the same. So do you have anything else to add to that? No, I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head. Thank you so much for coming and speaking to us and giving us your uh, two cents. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure being here, speaking with you. And I think it was really beneficial from my perspective as well, just to reaffirm my faith in Christ and understand what actually the gospel is about. And I address a lot of these misconceptions we have within the church so that we can recognize what the right gospel is. I think that's another thing that I just want to add at the end there. You don't have to be an expert in everything. Oh, yeah. you, know, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to recognize what is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, as long as your foundations are solid, uh, as long as you know what the right gospel is, as soon as you hear something different, you're able to identify that as 
being false. And I think that's the best way to make sure that your foundational faith is strong. And that is exactly what the Lord intended for it when you come into the faith and make sure that whatever theology that you're listening to, you go back and examine it, whether it's through using resources or speaking to people who you trust within the church and make sure that what you believe in or what you are, even if you're preaching, mm-hmm. what you're preaching is uh, the right gospel. Yeah. And the uh, final thing to say is if you do come into contact with this, there is no reason to be angry or go all guns blazing against it. Mm. Christ has called us to be like him. So which means to do everything in love. So mm. everything that we've done here today, we don't want to just like fire shots and that's it. We, we're, we're coming out of a place of love. If we didn't love the, the mm. people who are listening to us, we wouldn't say anything. And so folks, we always put the creator over his creation. We always put the giver over the gift. It's not the other way around. We focus on Jesus. We put our hope and our trust in him, not because of what he can give us, in terms of wealth, health and prosperity, but because what he has given us in terms of salvation from our sin. So folks, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube. And of course, please share this episode to your friends and family. And we hope you've been watered to water.